Mark again. The Gospel of Mark, this is part one of a two-parter. Part one this morning will be upon Jarius and his daughter. Next week, if the Lord spares us, it will be in that lady who had the issue of blood. But to get the context of all, let us read together Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. Again, give careful attention. This is the word of God. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand and said to her, Talatha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. This is God's holy word.
Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Mark 5 provides what could be and is called the case of the incurables. However, we've seen a few weeks ago and we've seen and read this morning and next Lord's Day we will see that when Jesus shows up on the scene, everything changes. Jesus is Lord over the demons. Jesus is Lord over disease. And Jesus is Lord even over death. Our Lord Jesus Christ indeed is the man's Savior, that one who we saw a few weeks ago. He is that Savior to that woman who we will see next Lord's Day. And this morning, He is that Savior to Jairus and to his daughter. Every one of us has been impacted by tragedy to some degree. Whether it be illness whether it be infirmity, whether it be death, or many of the thousand things that can touch us as humans, we have all experienced pain. Whether it's that of a broken heart, whether it's that of a broken body, whether it's that of a broken spirit, tragedy has touched us all. Whether that pain is physical in nature or spiritual, we have all been affected. And yet at times we're surprised. But Jesus said it would be this very way in John 16. Even back in the Old Testament, in the book of Job, Job comments in Job 14.1 that man is short of days, but yet full of much trouble. This morning, I want you to remember, even if you get nothing else out of this, I want you to remember that when tragedy, trials, or circumstances come across your way, Jesus, Jesus is more than adequate to take care of that situation or indeed any situation. John 16 verse 33 says this, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. And many of us, We close our Bibles. But the rest of that verse is of vital importance to us. Where it says, in the world, where you live, terra firma right now, you will have tribulation. There's not a period there and it ends. It carries on. But, but take heart I, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, have overcome the world. Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is more than adequate to take care of any situation. What we've just read in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through to the end, is a sad story. And yet it's not a story. Jarius was a real person. Jarius' daughter was a real person. 
the woman with the issue of blood actually lived on the world that we do. And in the passage that we've read, we're confronted with a father, with a man who is experiencing tragedy. You see, that day, in Mark 5, whatever the date would be, that day, death showed up. And it showed up at the house of Jarius, and it had come for his daughter. His heart is broken. And in the midst of his tragedy, in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his sickness of his daughter, where does he turn? To Christ. Jarius found out that day that Jesus is more than enough for the times of our tragedy. He indeed is that friend, saving, helping, keeping, loving with me to the very end. This morning I want us to look at the events of this passage and I want us to look closely at this tragic, tearful scene. Remember, these are real people. Put yourself in Jarius' situation. And then remind yourself, Remind yourself of why you're here. Christ. This morning we're going to open up this passage under three headings. We're going to do so under a pitiful dialogue, a painful delay, and a powerful deliverance. That's a pitiful dialogue, painful delay, and powerful deliverance. We are told that Jarius is a ruler of the synagogue. When we've been going through Psalm 119, I've urged you to slow down and to think upon the words that you read. And we can very quickly read over just who this man was. This is a man of prominence. This is a man of position, of a man of prestige, a man of privilege, a man of prosperity, and a man of power in his community. Jarius, we could say, is a man who had it all. But at this time, when we plunge in there at verse 21 and into verse 22 and then 23, it mattered nothing. You see, when Jarius spoke, people listened. When he walked into a room, everyone stood up in recognition. But now here he finds himself in a place where none of this matters anymore. Sickness and death could care less about who this man is and what positions or what what money he had or what position that he held. Here is a man who we could say is religious. I call these the bunny ears. He's religious. But yet his religion is powerless to help him in this situation. I guarantee you that Jarius would have traded everything that he had to change that situation. You see, life became very defined for Jarius in those moments. He had everything, or so he thought. 
But in reality, what he had in the world meant absolutely nothing. You see, death had come to his house. And it had come for his real treasure. Verse 23 tells us his little daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, the one who Luke calls his only daughter. His only daughter was dying And she was his real treasure. You see, some have spent their entire lives amassing power, wealth, position. But when tragedy comes, those things mean absolutely nothing. When death comes knocking at your door, you can't hand it your credit card and say, cash me out for a few more years. Death doesn't care if you're a millionaire, a billionaire, or whoever. Those people and those celebrities that many people cling on to, when death comes to them, death will come. It doesn't matter how many Teslas Elon Musk sells or the new Jeep that he's coming with, or the amount of batteries he gives people. When the Lord calls him to give an account, and death comes across his path, money will not matter. Sickness and sorrow don't care if you've got power, if you've got prestige, if you've got position in your community. Sorrow and suffering don't care about how popular you are. Hell could care less about who you are and all the many things that you've done in this world. When tragedy and death come calling, you, and I'm looking at you this morning, had better know, had better know one greater than yourself. This morning, do you know where to get that help? Jarius is our example this morning. Somewhere and sometime Jarius had heard about Jesus. You hear about him every week. You see, the name Jarius means he whom God enlightens. Somehow God had opened the eyes of this Jewish official and he had saw that Jesus was his only hope. And now at the very moment of his daughter dying, Jesus just happens to be passing by. What a coincidence. Not at all. It was the divine plan of God that allowed the paths of Jarius and our Lord Jesus Christ to cross that very day. This morning he's beholding, he's in front of you too. What will you do with him? That little plastic card in your hip pocket means nothing. Just because you're sitting there and you've got your Bible open and you look the part. Just because your parents are at the end of the row. Just because your grandparents are around you. That does not get you to heaven. And Jarius knew this. 
He knew that these things meant nothing. Why? Because he comes to the only one who could help him. See how he comes. See how this man of position and power come before Jesus Christ. He came reverently, he came prayerfully, and he came passionately. The Bible tells us that he fell at his feet. That word fell means to descend from a high place to a low place. In other words, this big man humbled himself enough in the presence of God and he came from his lofty perch. And he humbled himself and he fell before the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why this morning we sung the hymn that we did. That when we are prideful, that we would think upon the cross and what Christ has done for us. That is why we should daily Ask the Lord to help us with the sin of pride. Because many, many people are so prideful and they they never get anywhere because they do not humble themselves before a holy God. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Brothers and sisters, are we a humble people? Are we humbling ourselves before the Lord? First Peter says this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This morning, where do you stand before a holy God? When we come to that place where we see our own inability and his ability, then we are in a position to receive what we need from him. Pride is a horrible sin. And I'm not going to stand here and say that I'm prideless and I'm such a humble big guy because I am not. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastors. Pray for one another, even in this simple regard. 
Because the days that we live in, when we look around, all we see is pride to the hilt. People thinking they're better than everyone else. Believer, humble yourself before a holy God. See your place before him. And where is it? It's in the dirt. It's on your knees. It's on your belly. It's as low as you can possibly get before a holy God. We are nothing. We are nothing but the dust of the ground. And yet God has chosen us. And he has saved us. And he has clothed us in Christ's righteousness. And yet at times we can become so puffed up and think we are it. The Bible tells us, take heed lest you fall. Brothers, can I encourage you to speak with one another on these things? Sisters, do the same. You young converts, be wary of these things. See your own inability and his ability. That is where we need to be. You see, when this man comes to Jesus and he falls down before him and he makes this petition to the Lord where he's saying, I cannot do this thing, but I believe you can. Friend, that is the place where we need to get in our life. Whether it's you sitting there this morning and you know nothing of Christ, you cannot save yourself just because you put some money in that collection box. Just because you come through the door, just because you sit there and perhaps you you mutter the hymns and you open your Bible and you give perhaps some attention, those things do not save your soul. Because there are things that you do. You need the saving work of Christ in your life. And this morning I urge you, come to him. Come to the one and cry out, I cannot do this, but you can Like that jailer, Lord, what must I do to be saved? Perhaps you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking of a loved one. That one perhaps who even sat in these very seats. A loved one who you know has had that word read over them. Whether it be in family worship or whether it be in church. And yet right now they have no time for God. Again, cry out, I cannot save them, but I believe, O Lord, that you can. In a time of tragedy, in a time of hardship, in a time of of walking through that deep valley of life, we've got to reach the place where we know that God can Lord, I can't fight these battles, but you can. I can't win the victories. I need you in my life. We need to come to that place of absolute surrender. We need to come to the feet humbly and cry on to God and say, I can't, Lord, but you can. 
This morning I ask you individually as you sit there, not as a family, not as husband and wife, not as children, but individually, what are you struggling with? What are you struggling with this morning? Then get to the place. Get to the feet of Christ and say, I can't, Lord, but you can. Humble yourself before God. Secondly, a painful delay. This is where I want you to have sanctified imagination. You're a father. Many of you are here this morning. If you're not, then your imagination has to play a little bit more. But think of yourself as a father. And your daughter, your only daughter, is dying. When Jarius shares that story with Jesus, he receives that sympathetic ear. Look at verse 24, when he had told everything that had come upon, and he went with him. Jesus is interested, and indeed he is on his way to Jarius and to his house. Jarius had fallen at his feet. He had told him what was happening, and Jesus was ready to go. Believer, that's you this morning too. When you bring your need to Christ, he's already on his way to your situation. When you have a need, Christ cares for you more than you even realize. You see, the devil will sit on our shoulder and he will whisper in our ear, God doesn't care about you. Where is he? Saint, nothing. Nothing could be farther from the truth. 1 Peter 5, 7. Take these down if you're taking notes and read them later. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. Luke 12, 6 through 7. And then turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. These are the words of Christ to you this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look, At the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? 
And why, be, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Skipping down to verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What are you worried about? This week when I read that, it was like God took a two by four and walloped me right between the eyes. Merv, why are you anxious? Why are you worrying? Why are you listening to what the devil is saying on your shoulder that God doesn't care for you? God does. His word tells us these things very clearly. See, back to, our, back to what we're learning this morning. Remember, picture yourself, the man and his daughter is dying. And Jesus is on his way. And they're stopped. They're stopped. Verse 25 must be one of the longest passages and segments of life that this man had to face. No doubt Jarius is, is gripped and as his were, he's like, he's like pushing the way so that the men could get through. Because read what it says, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Mark makes no mistakes when he writes these things because he wants us to think upon Jarius. This man wants the master to hurry. He's fell on his feet. He's fell at Christ's feet. He's told them Christ has said we're coming and now they're stopping. None of the gospel writers ever record anything that Jarius said during this delaying time. This is also one of the men I want to meet in heaven and ask him, what were you thinking? What was going on in your mind? We don't read of him impatiently pulling on the robes of Jesus to hurry him. Why? Because the lady touched him and Christ knew that someone had touched him. He doesn't interrupt the dialogue with this woman and say, would you get out of the road? My problem's more than yours. He merely waits. He merely waits until Jesus is free. And this is a response of faith, is it not? Here is a man who knows that no matter what he does or what he says, he cannot solve the problem. He's brought that problem and he's placed it in the hands of Christ and he's left it there. Brothers and sisters, that is a lesson for you and me this morning. 
regardless of that issue, whether it be the salvation of a lost one, whether it be the pain and the heartache that we suffer, we need to bring it to him, we need to leave it with him, and we need to see what God will do with these things. In the days that we live in, we are the most impatient people of all times. How do I know? I even googled up, could I quicken my internet yesterday? We live in an age when things need to be instant. Here is a prime example of Christ teaching patience. My mom used to be told this rhyme by a young lad in her Sunday school class that used to drive her up the walls where it said, Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. We live in a day when we are so impatient. We live in a day when if things aren't done when we want it, we're all bent out of shape. We need to get to the place where we bring it to Christ. We leave it with Christ and we see what he will do with it. Because during this time of him being patient, there's men that come along and they give those tragic words. Your daughter's no longer sick. She's dead. Father, think how you would feel at that very moment. Surely his world must have fallen apart around him. All of his dreams and his hopes were in an instant shattered. Remember, it was his little daughter. His words like his prized possession. Perhaps he said in his heart, if it hadn't been for the crowd, if it hadn't been for the woman, if Jesus hadn't have stopped, my daughter would be alive. This man could not understand the reasons for this tragedy. How many times has a similar word come to our, our, our hearts? Dead. There's no more hope. We look back at the times that we prayed about a matter and we wondered why the Lord tarried and he allowed it to happen. Perhaps the death of a loved one who we know is not in heaven. And we wonder why. You're not the first person to ask these questions. In fact, Mary and Martha questioned the very same thing in the, in the time of our Lord and the death of Lazarus. Why did you delay? The disciples who were in that boat that night when it was rocking and reeling and not the time that he was in the back sleeping, but the time that he came walking. But they didn't know that our Lord's delay is a part of his eternal plan. And that is where we can have hope this morning. You see, in the end, Mary and Martha saw Jesus raise their brother from the dead. The disciples saw him walk on the water, and neither of these things would have been experienced had he not delayed his coming to them. 
The Bible tells us that perhaps he tarries because he loves us. Look at John 11. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And we wonder why. Why, Lord? When it seems that God is moving slowly, do not give up hope. While God is seldom early, he is absolutely never, ever late. God moves in his perfect time. He always shows up at the right time. Why? Because he's perfect and his time is perfect. And yet that is where we fall short when we're so impatient. And we cry unto God for a lost sinner and, and maybe they're never saved. God didn't have to save any of us. And yet he did. This morning I heard just as believers have hope in our God. His timing is always perfect. We need to have patience. And so thirdly and quickly this morning, a powerful deliverance. Tragedy has now turned itself into something that's impossible, we may think. This little girl is dead. Even at that tragic moment, it's interesting how faith reacts. Jarius has placed his faith in Jesus, and even in the face of death, his faith doesn't waver. Look at what he says there. In verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? At that point, Jarius could have said, you know what, she's dead, forget about it. But look what it says. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, he said to Jarius, he said to the father of this little girl, do not fear, only believe. Only believe. Don't believe what you hear. Don't believe what you know. Don't believe what you see. I'm asking you, trust me. And that is what faith says to us today. Every indicator may say it's hopeless, but faith looks to a God who is greater to anything we can hear, anything we know, or anything that we see. Bring your needs to Christ this morning. Trust your need to Christ and leave your need with him. Leave it in his hands by faith. God may not work it out the way you want to. We need to be content. We need to be patient and let God do his thing. Whether it's your own salvation this morning, you know how you stand before God. You can pull the wool over my eyes. You can pull the wool over anybody's eyes. But you will not do it to God. How do you stand before God this morning? 
your own salvation, the salvation of another, a problem you have, get it into the hands of Christ and leave it there. Look what Jesus did. Those who didn't believe, what did he do? Get out. Leave. You don't believe. Those who lacked faith in him were excluded from seeing him move and work in his power. Faith believes the incredible, sees the invisible, and receives the impossible. When Jesus entered the room where that dead girl was lying, he took her by the hand and he told her to rise from the dead. And I love how Mark always puts it. And immediately. It's as if it's just right away, which it is. When Christ said, arise, get up, stop from sleeping or death. She was alive. How do we know that? She got up. She walked around. And then look at the very end of verse 43. Something that's so crucial to cement everything that's happening. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them what? Give her something to eat. She was alive. And those who were in the room who saw these things, they were, they were astonished. The new King James says they were astonished with a great astonishment. If you can get so many astonishments into one sentence. When you take it back and you read it, the actual representation is to throw out of position, to be out of one's mind. Literally, when they saw Jesus do what he did, it blew their minds and it left them with their very chins hanging on their chest with amazement. Astonished with a great astonishment. But sinner, this morning he's waiting to do the very same thing for you. Some of you need to come to Christ this morning and be cleansed from your sins. You need to be saved. Perhaps you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I'm the worst of the worst. No, you're not. Remember what we said at the very start. When tragedy comes your way, when salvation is what you need, Jesus is more than adequate to take care of the situation. He will and he can. Some of you need to bring a lost spouse. Some of you need to bring a lost child. Some of you need to bring someone else that's in your family to Christ today. I urge you, do it. Put them in his hands. Leave them to him. And see what God will do. Perhaps some this morning need to bring a situation that's bringing you fear or worry. Bring it to Christ. Perhaps your health's not what it should be. Perhaps your job's not what it should be. Fill in the blank, whatever it might be. Bring it to Christ. Bring it to him and have him deal with it as he will.
This morning, I don't know what you need. But God does. This morning, why not get that peace and that comfort and that help today? Why be anxious for another day? In 1871, tragedy struck that great city of Chicago. And if you will know, a great fire ravaged that city. The fire had taken over 300 lives that lived there and had left some 100,000 homeless. And in the midst of that city, there was a man by the name of Horatio Gates Spafford. He was one who tried to help the people get back on their feet. Spafford was a Chicago lawyer, and he had heavily, with a lot of his money, invested into, into that downtown area. And one night he lost everything. But more tragically, Spafford had also lost the loss of his son just a year earlier. And yet for two more years, 1872 and 1873, Spafford stayed on and helped. He assisted the homeless. He assisted those who were grief-stricken, those who were ruined by the fire. And after two long years, him and his wife and his children decided to take a vacation. It was a working vacation. They were going to go to that great land of England. Sadly, not Northern Ireland, but England. They were going to join up in those evangelistic crusades, and they were going to begin in England and then go through Europe, telling others of Christ. Spafford sadly was delayed by some business, but he sent some of his family on ahead. He would catch up with them on the other side of the Atlantic. His wife and his children were on that ship, the Vale de Herve, but they never made it. Off Newfoundland, it collided with an English sailing ship, the Loch Ern, and it sank within 20 minutes. Though Horatio's wife Anna was able to cling to that piece of floating wreckage, and there were only 47 survivors among hundreds, their four daughters, Maggie, Tanada, Annie, and Bessie were all killed. Horatio, just like Jarius this morning, received that horrible news where his wife said two words, saved alone. Spafford boarded the very next ship that was available to be near his grieving wife. And as they were going across the sea, the captain of that ship pulled him up to the headquarters. And he said, dear man, this is where it happened. At that moment, Spafford got out a pen and a piece of paper. And he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever, 
Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ, that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, O the bliss of this glorious thought, My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Christ is our answer. Christ is our hope. Christ is the one who this morning, even though this world may bring many things across our path, that we can cry out, it is well with my soul. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you even for what we've learned from Jarius, from his daughter, but more importantly, what we've learned upon you. Lord, we see that no matter what situation comes across our path, that you are able and adequate to help us no matter what it might be. We ask, O Lord, in these days, that indeed you would humble us, And that you would help us. That you would show us just who we are. But that we would see just who you are. Lord, we think of the many trials and tribulations that many even before us this morning are facing. We cry, O Lord, that Christ indeed would be the one that they could sing that indeed it is well with my soul. Lord, help us upon this Christian road. At times difficult, at times hard, and yet we know that we do not walk it alone. Lord, encourage us this day. O Lord, we bring those before you who know you not. We ask, O Lord, that you today would show mercy. Even for some who have sat for years in this place. Those who have sat and listened and yet have spurned the call of the gospel. We ask, O Lord, that today would be that day. That you, O Lord, would give that peace that surpasses all understanding. That you would give them that new heart. And that we, O Lord, would be astounded and greatly astounded at your mercy shown to a lost sinner. Lord, we even thank you for the many temporal blessings you you give us. Even this morning we can smell that wonderful food as it comes up those stairs and we ask that as we would go down there and fellowship one way or another that you would bless that food to our bodies that you would make us thankful for the many provisions you give us and that even as we eat 
And as we talk, that we would glorify you in all that is said and done. Lord, encourage our hearts, for we ask it in and through your Son's precious name. Amen.